Well, welcome, Mountain Park. How are we doing? What a great morning. Great to see people come through the waters of baptism. So glad to have the opportunity to be here with you this morning to open God's Word up. It's a privilege to be sure, and uh, it's exciting to be here and see so many of you and just worshiping God. Those of you watching online, thanks so much for being here with us and joining us. You're part of our family. My name is Dwayne, if you don't know me. Uh, I serve as one of the adult ministry pastors here at Mountain Park and uh, work on a great team alongside uh, Pastor Greg Battle, who oversees outreach, and Allie uh, Richmond, who oversees our welcome team and others. But again, so glad uh, to be here. And as you know from the theme song, we've been in a series the last few weeks called Make a Friend. And uh, I've been talking about these friendship-type relationships that we all are part of and what it means to be in community. And friendships and relationships are important. And uh, all of us have friends at some point in our lives. Hopefully you still have friends. But it reminds me of a story of of these two guys, uh, George and Joe. And George and Joe were lifelong friends. They grew up together in the same, you know, same neighborhood, and they loved baseball. How many of you love baseball? All right, a few of you. That was quiet, my goodness. But anyway, George and Joe loved baseball. I mean, they grew up playing Little League. They played in high school. They went to baseball games their entire life. And that's the kind of friendship they had. And uh, as they got older, as they got past retirement years, they were at a, at a game one day, and, and Joe asked the question to George. He says, George, you ever wonder if there's baseball in heaven? And George was like, well, that's a good question. I'm not sure. And so they talked about it. And then that day, they made, a, they made an agreement. They made a pact. They said, whoever passes away first has to come back and tell the other one if there's baseball in heaven. And so they agreed to that. And so uh, about a month later, George passes away. And, and Joe's just distraught about this. And, and he's at the funeral, and it's kind of winding down. He's sitting over on a bench by himself outside. And, and all of a sudden, he hears, psst, Joe, Joe. And he looks, and says, where's that voice coming? Psst, Joe. And he looks over behind a tree, and there's George. He's behind the tree. And Joe gets up, and he goes over to George and says, George, it's you. He says, Joe, I'm here. He said, I got to tell you. Remember our agreement? Yeah. He says, I got to tell you, Joe, there's baseball in heaven. And Joe's like, I knew it. And George says, no, that's not the half of it, Joe. The fields are amazing. The grass is greener than any grass you've ever seen. The sky is the bluer. The, the, the mound is perfect. The infield's perfect. The fences are perfect. Joe, it's amazing. And Joe's like, that is so great. And George says, I guess one more thing I got to tell you, Joe. What's that? You're scheduled to pitch next Wednesday. <laughs> That's how it works. And uh, my friend Brad, Brad Butler got me this last week. So there's another one loading at the moment. But just one quick one. So what do you call a pastor in Germany? A German shepherd. Come on. What? Oh, my goodness. Well, today, folks, we are digging into this whole idea of making a friend, and today we're talking about the idea that when it comes to friendships, they are worth persevering. They're worth doing the work to maintain and to grow, because friendships are powerful. They they shape us, right? They help define us, and our culture is built around friendships. Friendships dominate our media culture. I mean, you just heard a theme song from a a show uh, called Friends, which was a show about friends, right? And it was a top show for like a decade in our culture. There's also a lot of movies out there that deal with this whole idea of friendship. And there's one movie trilogy that I think um, raises the bar or whatever on this whole idea of uh, persevering as a friendship. And it's the movie trilogy, Lord of the Rings. Any, any Lord of the Rings fans? A few of you out there. You know what's crazy about this? Um, that first movie came out over 20 years ago. How old are we getting? I mean, our our graduating high school seniors weren't even born when that first movie came out. 
But as you know the story, it's about primarily two friends, Frodo and Sam, and they go on this quest to save the world, right? That's what cinema's all about. And uh, along the way, um, their friendship is tested, it's strained, it's challenged, and, and they stay together. They're there for each other through insurmountable odds, as you know. And um, I, I, they hold each other up. And I love at the end of the third movie, there's this scene that is just so powerful where um, Frodo and Sam are, are close to the end. They can, they're, they're climbing up Mount Doom, the final leg in this journey. And uh, Frodo finally gets to the point, if you remember this, where he collapses. And he's just like, Sam, I can't go on anymore. It's too heavy. I can't do it. And there's this great dramatic scene where Sam kind of gets down and he's like, Frodo, and they're crying and everything. And then Sam gets, says these words. He says, Frodo... I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Oh, isn't that great? And the music, boom, and he gets him, and he picks him up, and he puts him on his shoulders, and he climbs up Mount Doom together. And it's just a tremendous picture of friendship persevering. And, you know, many people would say that movie was about a ring, right? Uh, not really. The movie's really about friendship. And it teaches us and reminds us that friendship is worth persevering. The good and the bad and the strengths and the weaknesses and community and friendships are, are so important. God's word, the Bible, is filled with stories of friendships that persevered. You, you think of people like, like David and Jonathan and, and, the, and the issues they had to deal with and their friendship persevered. Or, or those, uh, those guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you remember those guys, uh, common names today, no, but they had that whole fire thing they had to deal with and persevere. Or, or uh, Paul and Silas and, and the friendship they had and how it persevered even through some very difficult, uh, difficult times. There's another story in scripture that I wanna focus on today that I think just really depicts this whole idea of persevering in a friendship. And it's a story that combines both friendship and forgiveness. And what's, what's amazing about this story is we don't even know the people's names involved. We don't know who the players are in this story. But it's a tremendous story and it's worth taking a look at. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to take it out. Uh, whether it's pages that turn, screen that scrolls, turn to Mark chapter 2, uh, second book in the New Testament. And as you're turning there, I just want to let you know that uh, today I have a single big idea that I want you to walk away with. And here's what it is, and uh, if, you don't, if you don't get to anything else, catch this. And here's what it is. Leading a friend to Jesus is a path worth pursuing. I want you to remember that today. Leading a friend to Jesus is a path worth pursuing. So let's dig in as we uh, check out this amazing story. So Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Here's what it says. A few days later... When Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even out the side the door. And he preached the word to them. Okay, so we pick up the story and the popularity of Jesus is on the rise. People are starting to follow him in larger and larger numbers and it's harder for him to go anywhere unnoticed. Um, and it says in verse one that he came home. Now, if you've read through the scriptures before, you would, you would probably remember that Jesus' home was where? Nazareth. That's the town he grew up in. That was his hometown. So um, what happened was, just prior to this event, there was a little bit of trouble in Nazareth. Okay, Jesus was teaching. They didn't like what he was teaching, and so they decided to take Jesus out to the edge of a cliff and, and push him over. Now, folks, just a note. When, when your hometown friends want to push you off a cliff it's time to find a new hometown, right? And that's exactly what Jesus does. And so we're told that Jesus moves his, his, his headquarters, so to speak, from uh, Nazareth about 40 miles to Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a small town on the, on the 
shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, in Jesus' day, it was a pretty popular trade route from the cities in the north all the way up to Damascus and down south all the way down to Egypt. And so a lot of people came through uh, uh, Capernaum. And, and as a side note, if you ever get the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, I highly, highly recommend that you make sure Capernaum is one of the stops that you make. Uh, there's a ton of history there, and Jesus spent um, a lot of time there. And so Jesus is in this house. Word gets out. He's back in town, and people gather to hear Jesus where he's at. So much so that the house fills up the capacity. All the area outside the house is crowded with people. Now, we don't know whose house this was. We're not told in scripture. It's possible it could have been Peter's house because we know from an earlier story that Jesus had gone to Peter's house in Capernaum to heal his mother-in-law. So it's possible, uh, but we don't know for sure. We don't know how big the house was. All we know is that it was filled to capacity both inside and out. So picture Jesus in this, in this crowded house. It's, it's packed all around him. And I don't want you to miss what the last uh, part of verse 2 says. It says that he preached the word to them. Um, Mark wants to make sure that we understand. He, Mark emphasizes the preaching ministry of Jesus a lot. And he wants to make sure that we understand that Jesus was not just a miracle worker who occasionally did some preaching. He was primarily a preacher and teacher who also did some miracles. And so he's with this crowd. He's preaching the word. In verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. All right, so um, picture the scene. You picture these guys, these four guys with their friend on, on some kind of a stretcher. I don't know if it's kind with like poles in it and they each had a corner or if it had ropes tied to it and they were each carrying a corner, but there's four of them carrying this guy and they roll up on this house and it's crazy packed. And so these guys walk up and, and these four friends, I want you to understand, they have one thing in mind. We need to get our friend to Jesus. We need to get our friend to Jesus. We've heard about the miracles. We've heard about the healings. If we can just get our friend to Jesus, he might be helped. Why? Because leading a friend to Jesus is a path worth pursuing. Don't forget that. So they get up on this house and they hit a snag. Right away, they, they realize it's not going to be as easy as we thought it was. They can't get in the door. It's blocked by people, but they don't give up. They persevere. They keep going. They look for other solutions because they got to get their friend to Jesus. So check out what they do. Verse 4. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowds, they made an opening in the roof by, above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. All right. I don't know about you, but the first time I heard this story, I was, I was a kid in Sunday school. And uh, I remember the story because the teacher would put these, these flannel graph cutout people on the flannel graph board. How many of you remember flannel graph boards? All right, for those of you younger, flannel graph was the cutting edge technology of the day. This was pre-PowerPoint, right? And I remember that she had this flannel graph house and it had a little flap on the top. And she opened the flap up and she slid the little, little guy down in front of Jesus. Easy peasy, right? That's how it was done. Well, as I've gotten a little bit older, um, I realized that what these, what these four friends did was anything but easy peasy. It was a lot of work. Now, I've done a fair amount of teaching and preaching in my day, and, and uh, I've been interrupted in a lot of ways, okay? I, I've been interrupted, people talking, or, or somebody's phone goes off, and, you know, we wait for them to answer it, and, and that. Or babies crying, of course, that's been a part of it. Maybe an airplane flying by really loud, um, 
microphones going out, things like that. I just freaked the guy out in the back. But anyway, um, that kind of stuff. You know, I've been interrupted in a lot of ways, but I've never had anybody dig a hole in the roof and, and start coming down. That would be a new one for, for most anybody, but that would have been a new one for sure. So, so how does this happen? Well, we know from uh, uh, the way that they, they built houses in that day, and actually, uh, they're, they're very flat-roofed houses, and if you go to the Middle East today, most houses are flat-roofed as well. Uh, but they would cover their homes with, with some kind of tiles or twigs or palm branches or some kind of material, and, and they would access that patio area on the top by a staircase that was usually connected to the side of the house. And so these friends, these, these mat carriers, if you will, they can't get in. And so what do they do? They, they find another way. They go to plan B, and they, they go around, and they access this uh, staircase onto the roof. And so, so picture this. Jesus is, Jesus is teaching, and, and I don't know if he does this kind of stuff, but he's, he's teaching, he's sharing, and all of a sudden, I picture a little, you know, some dust starts to, to fall down, and, and maybe a couple of twigs, you know, start dropping, and, and all of a sudden, a little light appears, and, and, and about that time, I, I imagine people start looking up, and, and this light starts getting bigger and, and bigger and bigger, and, and pretty soon, this, it's big enough, and this, this mat, whatever it looked like, comes, comes down, and, and I picture these guys, you know, they're, they're doing this, and, and then I think partway through, one of the sides gets a little longer than the other, and the crowd grasps because they think the guy's going to fall off, and they correct it, and all of a sudden, this mat, it comes all the way down to Jesus. Now, I don't know if Jesus kept talking, <laughs> I don't know if he stopped, I, I, don't, I just don't know, but I try to imagine Jesus here in the midst of this with a smile on his face, watching this thing unfold in front of him. And, and no matter what was happening in the house around Jesus, on top of the house, on top of the house, there were four friends persevering with one thing in mind, we gotta get our friend to Jesus, why? Because leading a friend to Jesus is a path worth pursuing. Look at verse 5. This is where the story gets great. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. All right, we got to break this verse down. Let's look at the first part for a moment. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, it didn't say when Jesus saw his faith, the paralyzed man. He's not talking about his faith. We're not, we're not sure if the paralyzed man had any faith at this point. What's getting addressed here is the faith of these four friends. Jesus sees their faith. And understand what they did took a ton of faith. These were the kind of friends who, who, who believed passionately that their only hope for their friend was to get him in front of Jesus. If they could just connect him with Jesus, maybe he could be helped. His life could be changed. That's the kind of faith these friends had. You could see their faith by what they did. They led their friend to Jesus. Jesus recognizes this. And then he addresses the guy in the stretcher in front of him. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I want to tell you, those five words are powerful. There is so much packed in that sentence. It is just, it is just filled and pregnant with meaning. So imagine this guy. He's on the stretcher. And he's obviously um, loved by his four friends. Now he's become separated from his friends. And he's been lowered down into a crowded room, interrupting Jesus. I picture this guy trembling, just scared to death at what's going to happen next. If you can imagine yourself being put in that situation. He's been, he's been laid, he's, he's put there, he can't get up. He can't run away. 
He is stuck. Now, Jesus could have said, dude, I'm, I'm trying to give a message here. Could you guys wait till later? No, he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, Jesus says something that immediately would calm this man's fears. One word, he says, son. Son. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of relationship. It's a term that would say, that would say hey, I see you. It's okay. He calms this guy's fears. And then he says something completely unexpected, which we'll get to. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now, this would have caught everyone in that room by surprise. Understand this. This was a huge statement. Now, I want to I look at those words, your sins are forgiven, and how they would have been perceived or heard by the various players in this story. First of all, the paralyzed guy. When Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, this would have been life-altering for him. And here's why. Because of his culture. Because of the culture of his day. You see, in his culture, this, man, this paralyzed man would have likely have been told that you're paralyzed because there's some sin in your life or perhaps your parents' lives. That God is punishing you. This is what God's way of punishing you for some sin in your life. Folks, that's a huge burden to have to carry through life. And so when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, that would have been such a weight lifted off of this man. Now let's look at the four friends. I picture these guys when they're, they're looking down and, and Jesus says your sins are forgiven. I picture these guys going, no, 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 Jesus, no. That's not why he's here. <laughs> we, we need you to fix him. That's why he's here. Fix that. He can't walk. Understand what Jesus does here is he first speaks to the man's greatest need, his sin. Why? Because you see, sin affects his relationship with God, just like sin affects yours and my relationship uh, with God. We have to understand there's, there's a lot of things in life that are far worse than, than not being in good health. You know, the Bible says that all of us, not some of us, all of us, all of us in this room, all of us watching online, all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Nobody gets away from being a part of that boat. But our sin problem, folks, has far worse consequences, eternal consequences, than any physical problems we might be dealing with. Don't forget that. You've got to make that right first. So Jesus deals with the sin issue first. So the paralyzed man, he heard it one way. The, the, the guys on the roof, they heard another way. The, the crowd, I imagine when Jesus said this, that they're like, oh, snap, this is about to get exciting. Why? Because they knew who else was in the room. Check out verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So I picture Jesus said this, and these guys stood up, and I, and I picture them going like this, just kind of straightening up. Did, did he just say what I think he said? Did you hear what I think he said? Yep. He, he, he can't say that, right? No, he can't say that. He, he'd get killed for that. Yeah. Hmm. That's what's going on here. <laughs> he can't do that. Only God can do that. Now, now before I move on, I want to I talk about these these religious leaders for a moment, these, these guys, because we're always quick to jump on the bandwagon that these are the bad guys, and they're the enemies of Jesus. Um, let me tell you a few good things about these guys. 
First of all, um, they were checking Jesus out. Nothing wrong with that. They, they had heard that there's this guy going through the region. He's healing people. He's teaching. We want to make sure he's legit. We want to check him out. Nothing wrong with that. Some of you might be sitting in this room today. Some of you may have tuned in today online, and you're doing the exact same thing. I'm trying to check out who God is. I'm trying to check out who Jesus is. That's a good thing. So they were doing that. Secondly, it says they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? In other words, they were paying attention. They were actively listening to what was being said. This is important because this is how we learn, right? We engage, we take note, we apply. That's a good thing. These guys were doing that. Thirdly, when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, these guys correctly analyzed the situation theologically. Only God can forgive sins. They were right about that. No one can forgive sins but God. Only God can forgive sins. Now, before I move on, I want to talk about this sin thing for a minute, this forgiveness thing, really, because there's two aspects of forgiveness. You see, when it comes to, when it comes to uh, forgiveness and sin, if I, if, I sin, if I sin against Tony, I want to pick on you, Tony. If I sin against Tony up here, and I tell a lie about Tony, and it causes him all kinds of problems in his life, if, if three months later I come back to Tony and I say, Tony, I am so sorry, I, can you please forgive me? I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong to do that. Tony has a, an option. He can, he can forgive me if he wants, or he doesn't have to. If he forgives me, he'll say, we're good. There he goes. See? This is what happens. <laughs> that was not set up, by the way. That's just Tony. I forgive you for interrupting me, Tony. <laughs> anyway, he, he, he can forgive me if he wants to. Um, and he can do that. Now, the problem is... <clears throat> that while Tony may forgive me, when, when I told that lie, I not only sinned against Tony, I also sinned against God. And Tony can't forgive that. Only God forgive, can forgive that. And, and, and that just doesn't go away. You, you know, time doesn't just uh, make our sins go away. Forgetfulness doesn't make our sins go away. Only God can forgive sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why, friends, leading a friend to Jesus is a path worth pursuing. Because when we lead a friend to Jesus, their sins can be forgiven. And they can have eternal life. That's why this is so important. So Jesus tells this man that his sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders, as I pointed out, they, they rightfully take notice. Absolutely. The problem with these religious guys is that while they were theologically correct, they were approaching Jesus from the viewpoint of an adversary. They were always looking for a way to, to be against and to, and to get at him. Looking for trouble. Jesus knows this, and look what he does in verse 8. And I love how Mark is just so in the moment. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or say, get up, take your mat, and walk? All right. If you ever had a conversation with somebody where you're in the middle of the conversation, and maybe they said this to you, or you said this to them, I, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're going to say, and, and I'm telling you, you're wrong, or you're right. Have you ever had that conversation? Of course we have. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here with these guys. Jesus tells these guys in front of everybody, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I know what's going on in your minds. He knows what's in their hearts. Realize this. Jesus has just, what, what Jesus just said to the paralyzed guy goes against everything that these religious leaders have been taught their entire life. So, of course, they're going to get a little upset about it. 
And so Jesus gives them two opinions. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or, you know, you're healed. Now, Jesus knew this was a loaded question because whichever choice you make, the answer to the question is the same. Only God can do it, right? Only God can forgive sins and only God can heal the person. The difference is that when a person sins, we don't see the results immediately. There's no, there's no light bulb that comes on on us that says, yep, forgiven today. But when a person is healed, they immediately see the results. Believing the man was forgiven would have been a much harder thing to do. And what Jesus does, he does the hard stuff first. He forgave the man's sins. Then he proves that he has the authority to do it. Look at verse 10. This is powerful. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Jesus does something remarkable here. He's, he, in the first part of this, he's not talking to the crowd anymore. He's talking directly to these religious leaders. And he makes a statement to these guys. He declares to them that he has the authority to forgive sins. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, I'm not just telling you guys that this man's sins are forgiven by God. I'm telling you, I have the power to forgive his sins. Here's why this is so, so powerful. What Jesus is doing without what he's saying, without saying it to these guys, is simply this. I am God. That's what he's telling them. And as you can imagine, that's not going to go over well with these guys. It never does. And to prove it, Jesus says, I'm going to tell this man to get up, take his mat, and go home. Look at verse 12. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this before. So imagine this. Jesus tells this guy, get up. And I imagine this guy's laying there, and all of a sudden, he, you know, he begins to feel something, some sensation in his legs. Maybe they, they start twitching. I don't know. And he picks up one foot and sets it on the ground and picks up another foot. And he tries to get up, and I, I imagine he, he wobbles a bit, and somebody in the crowd kind of steadies him. And all of a sudden, this man is, is standing there. And I just, I just imagine the joy that begins to fill his heart. Uh, and then he does something just incredible. He... He takes a step. And that may not seem like a big deal, but, but uh, you parents will get this. Remember when, when, when Sherry and our kids were little, they, all three of them, they took their first steps. You remember how you do this? You stand them up and they're, they're just kind of wobbling and you put your hands out and they take like one step and what happens? They fall on your hands and you're like, yay, she walked, yay, he walked, right? We, do, we get so excited and then we spend the next 10 years telling them to sit down. But anyway, <laughs> but you know how it is. We get so excited. I imagine that's what's going on here. This guy is just excited, and, and I, can, I, I picture the guys up on the roof, and, and, and tears are just filling their eyes with joy as they see their friend start to walk. And I, I picture the crowd just kind of making a little space, and, and this guy starts walking. These four friends on the roof watching this happen, friends who persevered to bring their friend to Jesus. Why? You should know this by now. Because leading a friend to Jesus is a path worth pursuing, folks. I love it how it says, Mark, it says they walked out in full view of them all. Meaning that everybody there not only saw the miracle, but they got to see the result of the miracle. And everyone praised God. How could they not? They were amazed. And I imagine this guy didn't get too far out the door before he was met 
by four amazing faith-filled friends. Friends who didn't just pray about his need, but put their feet to their prayers. Friends who persevered, even when it got difficult. They could have rolled up on that place and said, oh, it's crowded, we'll come back another day. But instead, they said, nope, we're gonna dare to do something different. And Jesus honored their faith. It's an incredible illustration to us about friendship and persevering in a friendship. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna land this plane this way. I wanna ask a couple of questions. What do I do with this story? Okay, so what do I do with this story? This story is just as relevant for us today. How does this relate to my life today? Well, two things come to my mind. If you have a journal or something to write on, you can write these down, but here's the first question. First is a question, and you gotta answer this. Whose mat do I need to pick up and help carry to Jesus? In other words, who has God placed in your life, who has God placed in your life for you to lead to him? Who are you praying for that needs Jesus? Hopefully names are coming to your mind. Write them down. We, get, we have to wrestle with that question. That's what we're called to do. Secondly, what do I do with this story? You can write this down in all caps. Don't give up. Don't give up. Maybe for some of you in this room, some of you watching, there's a person or persons in your life and you've been carrying their mat for a long time. You have, you've been trying to get them to Jesus and either they resist you or, or something keeps getting in the way and stopping it and you're just like, I'm just tired of carrying this person's mat. I'm just tired. Let me provide you with some assurance from God this morning. Jesus sees your faith. Hang in there. Keep praying. Keep looking for ways to connect them with Jesus. Don't give up. I want, to, I want to encourage you this week, if I challenge you with anything, I want to encourage you this week to reach out to someone, reach out to a friend, text them, email them, call them, take them out for breakfast, I don't know, and simply ask them this question, how can I pray for you? Start there. Start with that simple first step. Maybe you've been carrying somebody's mat and you know they need help, invite them, connect them with one of our, with one of our support groups here one of our hope groups or one of our grief share groups or, or something like that. Get them, try to connect them in some way, shape, or form. Guys, invite them to the men's breakfast in a few weeks as a way to, hey, let me, let me bring you out here. Or if you like hiking, we have a great hiking ministry. There's a hike coming up. There's always a hike coming up. Invite them to go on a hike with you. You know what's great about that? You get to spend two to four hours walking with them and talking with them. They can't get away from you. They can't. It's a great way to have a conversation. But find, figure out what works for you. Find out. But, but you've got to take the first step. Start with the first step of faith and watch God honor that step. Then take the next step and keep persevering. Why? I want you to say this with me. Because leading a friend to Jesus is a path worth pursuing. Don't forget that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word is as true for us today as it was the day it was penned. And Father, I thank you that you have called us to go into this world and make disciples, Lord, and that you have put people in our lives, Lord, that you've called us to be a light to. And I pray, Lord, that you'll give every person in this room an opportunity to simply take that first step this week. Father, help us never grow weary of carrying that mat or never grow weary, Lord, of, of looking for opportunities, Father. I pray that you'll bless each person here, and I look forward to hearing the stories, Lord, of what you're going to do. And all God's people said, amen. 
Amen.